today we're beginning a three-week series that's going to take us to Easter Sunday. Uh, by the way, we're going to have two worship services on Easter Sunday, 9 and 1030, so that hopefully more people can come to church and we can still uh, try to space out a little bit better than what we'd be able to do in one service. So 9 and 10.30 a.m., the 9 a.m. service will be a family service. There won't be any children's programming. Uh, the 10.30 service will have children's programming, but it's with limited space. And this is just a reality of COVID and still trying to uh, be uh, sensitive to that. Uh, so we ask that we would have your understanding that we're just going to have limited space. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, also, I want to confirm today that we will have a Good Friday service at 7 p.m., uh, on Good Friday. Uh, so, uh, so that's what's going to be happening for Easter. Good Friday service, two services uh, on Easter Sunday morning. So starting a three-week series on evangelism, I think it's a good time to talk about evangelism. First of all, because Easter is a time when people who aren't regular churchgoers are more open to attend church. They're more open to accepting an invitation to come to a worship service. They're open to invitations from friends and family. So I think this is a good time uh, to talk about it. I think it's a good time for us to talk about evangelism because we have not talked about it for a while. I actually can't remember the last time that I preached an entire message or series on evangelism, and that's not a good thing. Bad pastor. So we are due and past due for talking about evangelism. And it's a good time to talk about evangelism because it is always a good time to talk about evangelism. It is such an important part of what Christians are called by God to be doing in the world that it is always the right time, it is always a good time to talk about evangelism. And so I'm calling this three-week series Evangelism 101. Today we're going to consider the why of evangelism, why we should be committed to it. Next week we'll consider the who and the how of evangelism, who should be committed to evangelism. I'll give you a sneak peek, everybody. And the, and the how, what we're supposed to do. And then in the third week we're going to consider the reward of evangelism. The reward, there is a reward that comes uh, for being people who are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so those are the topics that we're going to cover in these three weeks. And we're going to talk about the first point on your outline, if you're following along on the outline. We'll talk about that more next week. But I do want to begin today by briefly reminding us that every believer is called by God to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel. Again, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead to next week, but I think it's important for us to start here today. It, it's true that some people have what you would call the spiritual gift of evangelism. It comes natural to them. It, it seems to be very easy for them uh, to, to use a term that people use, you might say it's in their wheelhouse. Not all of us have this gift. In fact, a lot of us don't have this gift. It does not come natural or easy for many of us to share our faith. But we can never say that because we may not have the spiritual gift of evangelism, 
that we're free from the responsibility of evangelism because we are not. Every believer is called by God to share their faith. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is a statement that Jesus made right before he was uh, going to return to heaven. We know the statement as the Great Commission. And it tells all believers what they are to be doing until Christ returns. Here's the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And since the moment that Jesus spoke those words, followers of Jesus have understood that this is what we are supposed to be doing until Christ returns. Followers of Jesus have understood that we have a responsibility to proclaim the truth about Jesus so that people receive it and are saved. We have a responsibility to baptize believers into Jesus. And we have a responsibility to teach and encourage each other in a way that we all grow in increasing obedience to Christ. And so we learn all of that from the Great Commission. And then we look at another important passage of Scripture that we'll look at more closely next week, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. In this passage, the Apostle Paul describes the responsibility of believers for evangelism this way. He writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so for around 2,000 years now, believers have read this passage and they have understood that all of us who call Jesus Savior and Lord are called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're called to be Christ ambassadors. We are called on Christ's behalf to be people who implore people who are far from God to be reconciled to God. And so we'll talk more about it next week, but as we move into the why of evangelism, we have to start by understanding that every believer in Jesus Christ is a minister of reconciliation, is an ambassador of Christ, and has a responsibility to pray and speak and act toward the goal of seeing people reconciled to God. So let's consider the why of evangelism or the, the whys of evangelism. Why we must accept this call. 
to share the message of Jesus with people that don't know him, who haven't received him as their Savior and Lord. Here's the first why. God created people, he created everyone to know him. God created people to know him. When people who were created for God don't know God, they miss out on the entire reason for their existence. And when you do that, your lives are both temporally and eternally harmed. You're created to know God. You don't know God. Your life is harmed. It's harmed in this present life, and it is harmed for eternity. Consider just a few verses that reveal that God created people to know him. Colossians 1.16 is one of these verses. For by him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were made by him, and get this next part, and for him. Everything was created for him. That means you were, uh, I was, everyone is created for him, for God, for Christ. We were created to have a relationship with him. We were created to know him. John 17, 3 is another place where we uh, see this. Jesus said in a prayer to God the Father, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ. We were created for eternal life. We were created to know God. John 15, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. A knowing relationship. Friends. I love that song that we sing. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. God made people to know him. To be his friend. Here's a great one. Ephesians 4. Uh, I think I have the verses wrong, but somewhere between 1 and 6, I think it's 4 and 6, says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has given freely given us freely in the one he loves. We are adopted sons and daughters of Jesus, a knowing relationship. Those of you who know my brother Nathan and his wife uh, Jolene, uh, and a few years ago they went through the process of adopting their youngest child, Donovan, and families in our church have done this as well. As they chose him for their family. They chose him to know and to love. It's a picture of how God chooses us for himself. 
to know him and to be loved by him. It is a beautiful thing. God made people to know him. He chooses us to know him and to love him and to be loved by him. Psalm 103 sums it up pretty well. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, created to belong to God, to know him, to be his people. God created us to know him. And when, because of sin and the separation that sin brings, people don't know God, it is a tragic thing. As I said, when people don't know God, they miss out on the whole reason for their existence. And they are temporally and eternally harmed. This reality led Augustine to say, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so the first why of evangelism is that people were created to know God. And yet millions upon millions, billions of people do not know God. It's a tragic thing. And we as people who do know God need to help those who don't to come to know Him so that they know and experience the whole reason for their existence. Here's the second why of evangelism. People are hopelessly lost without Christ. They're lost in this life because they don't know the reason for their existence. They don't know the reason for their life. And beyond that, they are eternally lost because no one knows God apart from Jesus Christ. The only way for people to know God is to know Jesus. If people never come to know Jesus, never receive the message of the gospel, never receive Christ as Savior and Lord, if they never come to know Christ, they never know God. The Bible is clear about this. Jesus isn't one path or one way to God. He is the only way to know God. We can know that there is a God simply by observing creation. Romans 1 tells us this. But we won't ever actually know that God unless we come to Christ, come to know Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in verse 7, if you go on, he said, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Wrap your brain around that one. They're looking at Jesus. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father as well. Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. The only way to God, the only way to know God is to receive and to know Jesus. And so if we want people to know God, which is the reason for their existence, then we have a responsibility to introduce people to Christ. 
showing that Jesus' earliest disciples understood what Jesus taught, including there in John 14, 6, Peter and John one day declared before the Jewish religious leaders in Acts 4, 12, this is after Jesus had already turned, returned to heaven, they declared, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The only name, the only one who saves is Jesus. The only way to know God is Jesus. The only hope of salvation is Jesus. The only way to go from lost to saved is Jesus. The only way to go from dead to alive is Jesus. The only way to go from dead to alive is Jesus. The only way to go from fear to peace is Jesus. The only way to go from restless to full of rest is Jesus. So the whys of evangelism. God made people to know him. People are hopelessly lost without Jesus. And here's the third why of evangelism. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. I know, oh, I shouldn't do this. I know somewhere some of you have been told that God created some people to be lost. Just, just, just put that out of your mind. Uh, that's just not true. He, he knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to be lost and who's going to be saved. He didn't create anybody to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 Let's us know that God is patient with people. And it says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let that sink in. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. And he wants that so much that he's done some really amazing things to make it possible for everyone to be saved. Amazing things. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So what Jesus is saying there is, I came to seek and to save lost people. Jesus, God the Son, condescended to take on human flesh, to be born of a woman, to enter this broken world that we live in, to seek and to save the lost. That's incredible. We, we can't actually wrap our brains around all that that really means. Omnipotent, omnipresent God takes on the limitations of human flesh willingly so that he can seek and save lost people, so that he can reveal God to people in a packaging that they understand better. It's incredible. Jesus, God the Son, condescended into human flesh, lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God, died a sacrificial death for the sins of the world. The perfect, infinitely righteous sacrifice that he made, paying the debt of sin for every sin, 
that ever had been committed or ever would be committed. And then, having satisfied God's just demands against sin, Jesus rose to life, proving that he had accomplished everything that he had come to earth to do. And now salvation, because of Jesus, is freely available. Anyone who wants to know God can enter into a relationship with him through Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost because God wants everyone in the whole world to be saved. And here's another incredible act of, uh, aspect of this incredible act of love, that, and it's this, God the Father sent his one and only son to the earth to seek and save the lost. You know, Jesus came to seek and save, but the Father sent his son. I might come and, and sacrifice for you. I don't, I don't want my children sacrificing for you, if I can be perfectly, perfectly blunt about it. That God gave his son is an incredible act of love. John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Two aspects of this. The first I've already mentioned, God gave his son. Jesus came to seek and save, but God gave Jesus to seek and to save. God sent his son from the splendor of heaven into this fallen, broken, dangerous world where he was going to be misunderstood, mistreated, and ultimately killed. God gave his son to that, all because God loves the world, all because God loves you. All because God loves me so much that he was willing to let his one and only son suffer unimaginable pain so that we could come to know him. That's how much God wants people to be saved. He gave his son to face all that so that we could know him. Here's the second thing I want to highlight from John 3.16. All God asks for us to know him and be saved is that we believe in the Son that He sent to save us. That's all He asks. You know, sometimes I think we make belief a much more difficult thing than it really is. Sometimes I think we're influenced to kind of view belief as like an against-all-odds type of thing. Like, my goodness, how could anyone... Come to actually believe. I mean, we're all sitting here, but, but, but we, we think, boy, it's really this huge mountain for people to get over to believe. But really, if you think about it, all God asks of us to know him and to be saved, here it is, is to believe what's true. <laughs> That's it. You want to be saved? Believe what is true. You don't have to believe something false. You just have to believe something that's true. Believe what is true. God doesn't ask us to atone for our sins to know him and be saved because we can't do that. God doesn't ask us to live perfectly from this point on in our lives to be saved because he knows we can't do that. 
God doesn't tell people that if they can be more sacrificial in serving their fellow man than what Mother Teresa was, that then they can be saved. But if not, then too bad for you. You cannot be saved. He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say that to know him and be saved, we have to read the Bible through 87 times throughout our lifetimes or pray four hours a day or fast 26 weeks a year. He doesn't say any of that. Essentially, what God says to us is that all it takes to move from lost to saved, from dead to alive, is to believe what is true. There is a God, Jesus has revealed him to us, and we know him and are saved by receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Just believe what is true, and you'll know God and be saved. This is why even though we can say a lot of things about things like justification and sanctification and glorification, I mean, you can fill books, and books have been filled with those various aspects of salvation. But in spite of all of that, when it comes right down to it, what it takes to know Jesus and to be saved is remarkably simple. Jesus said it in John 3.16, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The Apostle Paul summarized it really succinctly in Romans 10.13 when he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I see the truth. I believe it. And I say, hey God, I believe the truth. Save me. And you're saved. It's no more complicated than that. We can fill books about justification, sanctification, and glorification, but that's really all it takes to be saved. God, I see the truth. I believe it. Save me. Really let these things sink into your spirit. God wants everyone to be saved so much. He so much doesn't want anyone to perish that Jesus left heaven to seek and save the lost. God sent his only son to seek and save the lost. And all we have to do to be saved is to believe what is true, to believe in Jesus and to call on him. The whys of evangelism. God made people to know him. People are hopelessly lost without Christ. God wants everyone to be saved. The why of evangelism is so important. It's so important. These three things are so important. You see, God really cares about this. God really wants everybody to come to know him. He really wants everyone to be reconciled. And here's an incredible thing, and I hope you'll let this sink in. What God cares so much about, this, this important thing of everybody knowing him, he has entrusted that to us. He's entrusted it to us. He has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not entirely sure why, to be honest with you. I, I don't think I've handled that trust very well. Examine yourself. Have you handled that trust very well? 
I, I'm not sure I would have done it that way if, if I were making the decisions. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to entrust us, his people, his church, with the ministry of reconciliation. He has entrusted us with this precious thing. It's precious. It, it, it's like why everything we come here and talk about and worship about happened. Because God wants everyone to be saved. He's entrusted us with this precious thing. And we shouldn't take it lightly. But too often we do. Because we esteem the sacred trust so highly, may that be true. And want to honor God in how we handle the sacred trust. And because we love our fellow man enough that we want them to know God and be saved. To move from lost to saved, from dead to alive. Because of these things, we have to be willing to embrace the responsibility of evangelism. We just have to. It's so important. Evangelism is. Because God wants everyone to know him and be saved. And so let's commit to this. For the glory of God. And for both the temporal and eternal well-being of our fellow man. Now next week, we're going to look a little bit at the how of evangelism, but I want to encourage us to not wait until we've talked about the how of evangelism to get started doing a couple or a few things that I want to mention now. Here is the first thing that I am asking. This is the simplest step that any of us can take toward accepting our responsibility for evangelism, okay? This is the simplest step, and yet it is often an overlooked thing that we can do. Begin this week to pray evangelistic prayers. Begin this week to pray evangelistic prayers. Pray for someone that you want to invite to our Easter service starting now. Saturate, like put their name in the middle of your prayers, asking God for their salvation. Pray for them a lot, and then invite them to church. Pray. Pray that God would raise up gifted evangelists within our church family. We all have a responsibility for evangelism, but it would be a beautiful thing if some people gifted in evangelism came to the forefront and led the way for this congregation. Pray for gifted evangelists to emerge within our church family. Pray that all of us in this church body would accept our responsibility for sharing the good news of Jesus. And pray that in the coming months and years we would see an increase in evangelistic fruit as a church body. Pray. Pray for evangelism. In addition to praying, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Commit this week that you're going to invite at least one person to church. Just one. If you're an overachiever and you invite two, that's awesome. If you invite five, we might buy you a dinner or something. 
Like, that'd be really awesome. But commit to invite one person to church. You can invite them to our Easter service or invite them for next Sunday. Whatever you want. Say, well, Brian, I'm not sure inviting someone for an evangelism series that doesn't know Jesus is really what I want to do. Let me encourage you to trust that kind of stuff to God. We don't need to, like, figure out when the right Sunday for someone to come to church is. We serve a sovereign God, and I think you can just trust that if you invite people and they come to church, that was the right Sunday for them to come to church. Well, let me tell you how my mother came to know Jesus. She was invited to my dad's holiness Pentecostal church, okay? And she did not come from a holiness Pentecostal background. And her first service in that church, the Spirit started moving among the Pentecostal brethren and sisterin. And the man who was seated in front of her started shaking, and he started bouncing. And he got so blessed in the Spirit that eventually he bounced up and over the pew and laid in the floor between the pews speaking loudly in tongues. If there is any scenario that would scare someone away from Christian faith, that would be it. And yet my mother has been serving the Lord for I think now about 60 years. So, I can promise you that won't happen here. At least it never has. <laughs> At least it never has. Trust God is the point. Trust God. It, someone can come to church on a Sunday, we're talking about giving. And they can get saved. Trust God. We're not smarter than God. Just invite people and whenever they show up, say, that's great. God got them here on the day they were supposed to be here and trust it to God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand.